Hi, I'm Katie Newman. Um, I live here in Winchester with my husband, Tim. Um, we've been going to Christchurch for about a year. I'm a business coach and I work with entrepreneurs and small businesses who are driven by purpose and not just profit. So I work with them on our mindsets and strategies. I'm uh, Mike Carson. I'm a reader at Christchurch. I co-lead an organization called Avakin. We're essentially a consulting firm in the human side of transformation. So we have great human conversations with leaders about leading through transformation. We're actually a part of McKinsey & Company, the, uh, the global consulting house. Hi, I'm Richard Roop. I'm a GP uh, working locally in Whiteley, and I'm also uh, involved in uh, national cancer leadership in two roles. One, I'm the Royal College of GPs National Cancer Lead, but I'm also the uh, one of three senior clinical advisors at Cancer Research UK. Both those two roles are essentially about influencing the influencers, so great roles to have. So we've all seen the headlines. This global pandemic has taken us all by surprise. It's taken jobs, our governments uh, and our economies. We know now that death toll passes 250,000 globally. And as we see people start to come out of lockdown as a church, we want to spend some time just reflecting on where is God in the coronavirus and how might we best respond as the local church. So our opening question uh, is, where is God in a coronavirus world? He's always right here. I think for, for, for those who do seek him, we find there's more space, uh, if anything, right now. At least most of the, the leaders I've talked to uh, share, share that experience. For me personally, he's been doing a great work. Um, so, so he's been shifting my own heart. I felt it's almost like layer after layer coming off, but like, um, I don't know, I'm, I'm, I, I don't visit beauty salons, but I'm guessing some sort of, you know, exfoliation treatment, <laughs> you know, a layer comes off and he deals with the next thing, which is beautiful. And Richard, do you think if God is meant to be just, then doesn't a coronavirus world show that there is no God? It, it basically unpacks that whole area of how we see suffering as a whole. And it's a great mystery. And I don't think we have all the answers, but we know that God is a God who has been through suffering, through Jesus. Jesus, I guess, in the three days had the most extreme form of social isolation in that he was separated for the only time in all eternity. He was separated from the Father and the Spirit. And that must have just been unimaginable. You can't really put it in words. But I think plagues are nothing new. Plagues have been going since the fall. And uh, we've just been incredibly blessed in the UK that probably since Spanish flu 102 years ago, we haven't had anything like this. Mm. And I think what it has done is it has really challenged our culture of self-sufficiency and the ability to feel we're in control and we do what we want, when we want, how we want, and that's just been blown apart. And I think we're in an era now where we, bizarrely, in this social distancing time, we become even more interdependent and we need to rely on each other. Uh, I think the internet has been amazing in allowing information to cascade incredibly quickly. But with that has come the danger in that there's been a lot of information that hasn't been properly formed. So, for instance, in the science world, if uh, you generate a bit of research, the first thing that happens normally is it goes through peer review. And that pre-release is now in the open world and is published in the 
secular media before it's even been through peer review. So you get quite a lot of medical research items coming through that are sensationalized, which normally would never have seen the light of day. So it's, it's a challenging time, but a, a time of huge opportunity. And I think the, we look, in times of trouble, we look to God for our security. He is our rock. He is the same yesterday, today and forever. So from the God perspective, nothing has changed. But in a way, everything has changed. So I think we are more dependent on him than ever. But I think what you just said about something in that actually this is nothing new to God uh, is an important lesson here, that the coronavirus isn't something that's taken God by surprise and that in Christ Jesus, he meets us in our suffering because he hung on a cross. Uh, and that is actually one of the unique claims of Christianity and is quite outrageous to other faiths that God could suffer on the cross. Um, and for me... Uh, I don't know if this is, is the same for you, Katie, um, but I take great comfort from that, that actually my suffering isn't anything new to God, but he actually gets what it is to be truly human. So it is dark and painful, but in it, God calls me and knows me. Do you have any thoughts on that? I completely agree with you in terms of God knowing what it's like to be truly human. And, you know, to your original question about where do we see God, I think at this time we're seeing God in each other more than we ever have before. We're made in God's image. I think underneath it all, deeply cooperative, altruistic, loving humans and this opportunity that we've had um, presented, you know, through extra time and through um, being in lockdown has given us the chance to be able to bring those things to the fore in a way that we've never, I certainly haven't in my lifetime, had before as Richard was saying we don't have those commutes anymore so actually that time which we're no longer doing that we're spending connecting with people connecting with our families connecting with our neighbours even at a distance or those who we're living with and I think what's been amazing to see is the love and the um, uh, care that has come out from everybody to each other um, particularly you know meeting each other in times of suffering and when things aren't going well um, we're really being there for each other. And I think that's been, been really amazing to see. And you've seen God in those situations. So as we move on, um, thank you for your thoughts. How quickly, Richard, do you think our economy will recover? Do you think it should recover? Do you think we should bounce back to how we were before? Or do you think we should move forward, as some commentators have said? I think it's very interesting. If you look at the curve of either cases or, sadly, of deaths, you see a very sharp rise and a slower decline. And I think if you turn that graph upside down, uh, that is what will happen to the economy. So you get a very sharp decline, but it will be a slow rise out of it. Because quite clearly, uh, when uh, Boris Johnson announces on Sunday how we are going to be unlocked, it is not going to be how it was prior to March the 23rd it will be a very slow release of the break. Uh, one of the challenges I think is that until or unless we get either very good antibody testing where we can sh demonstrate who is immune or we get a reliable and trusted immunization, we're not going to be out of the woods uh, in terms of the shielding and other elements that have been introduced to protect our most vulnerable. And one of the things that I think particularly as Christians we're aware of, and actually quite a lot of our non-Christian friends as well, 
is how we are looking to support the vulnerable. Uh, if we were ruthless and were purely profit-based, we wouldn't have had any shutdown at all, and we'd have gone for the sort of survival of the fittest and almost a sort of eugenic approach to our society. But actually, our society, and some would say surprisingly, have taken the line of, no, we are going to protect the most vulnerable, uh, which I think is a great uh, credit, I guess, to our inheritance and our being rooted on the Judeo-Christian uh, ethical framework, which I think is just great. And you see, as we've heard earlier from others' comments, that you've seen almost a rebuilding of communities, uh, both in our home locations, but I've noticed it within my own practice at work that we are developing a much stronger community than had previously been the case. Um, even things like having WhatsApp groups and sharing activities at weekends uh, as part of, I guess, our resilience to just keep going through what are otherwise quite challenging times. So you talked about a rebuilding of the economy. Uh, Katie, what does that look like for you in your line of work? Do, do you want the economy to be rebuilt um, drastically differently uh, so it can be more compassionate than it perhaps was before? Or time of normality be helpful to you so that you know when money's coming in and where your clients are? I think that word you just used at the end there, normality, is a really interesting one. And the phrase, you know, returning to normal, a new normal, has been used a lot lately. And I think from my perspective, I don't feel like I want things to go back to normal because normal before we got into the situation that we're in now, you know, it wasn't as good as it could have been. Various things were happening. Um, I don't want to get political, but there was Brexit going on and there was a lot on the agenda in terms of the environment. You know, this feels like an amazing opportunity now that we are going to have to restart our economy to be restarting it in a new way and in a way that is going to future proof us and to help us tackle some of those things um, such as climate change in the future you know we've spoken about um, or we've heard about the amount of jobs that could potentially come from the green economy focusing on things like that in the future you know we need to get people back into work this feels like a great way to be refocusing our energy and efforts um, and kind of you know getting people into work but also tackling those things that really matter I think yeah rebuilding it in a compassionate way is an extremely important thing to do Mike so imagine you're given a, a phone call and Boris says the job's yours rebuild the economy what do you do on your first day hmm. um, wish he'd asked me three weeks earlier I think we need to be sufficiently not that there's a magic cutoff date but by the end of Q2, so 30th of June, we need to be sufficiently on the path to recovery as Western economies and, and indeed Asian economies to, um, to, to, to uh, avoid a prolonged recession. Um, if we are, and I, at the moment I'm very hopeful of that, then I think come January, February, we will be back towards the level of uh, flourishing that we had before. Um, and hopefully we won't look the same. Uh, obviously, it'll take some parts of industry longer to recover, um, particularly travel, um, uh, tourism, entertainment. Um, some of these will take will take longer. 
Um, and I think what we've got to be really careful of is that the, um, the, the net effect of the damage to the economy is not more damaging than the virus was. Uh, of course, it will always impact the poorest first. Um, and we're in danger of driving um, millions into uh, poverty or something approaching poverty, which of course has a dreadful, I don't need to tell Richard, he's a public health expert, will, will ha will ha would have a, a massive public health uh, impact as well. Um, but I'm, conf I'm confident that we can move uh, pretty rapidly. It depends on a couple of things. Uh, it depends on um, the, 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 the outcomes of the research and uh, as Richard pointed to, rapid testing um, and anti-bio uh, anti testing as well as antigen testing, uh, immunity and so on. Um, I think there's going to be a process of countries monitoring each other and watching what works. Um, one will experiment with one thing and states in the United States as well. One will experiment with one, one will experiment with another. Then we've got to be quite bold, and but we've also got to be free of fear. It is fear, I think, that will that will hold us back. Uh, and two things combat fear: um, facts really help to combat fear, but most importantly, love. Uh, love combats fear. Um, perfect love drives out fear. And I think if we start operating from a position of love, uh, which sounds an outrageous thing to say, doesn't it? But I really do believe that hearts are, uh, are going to be softened. And I have an optimistic perspective from what I'm hearing now that organizations, businesses are going to, um, if not wholly shift, I think we'll notice a substantial shift in the way leadership thinks about responsibilities and purpose in the new world. Are there things that we can be praying for as Christians for the NHS? Or are there practical things that we could be doing? Maybe Richard, you'd like to respond to that. Yeah, and I, th I think the NHS is often regarded as one of the sort of the pillars of, of British society. Uh, one of the things that I think is completely awesome about it is that it is completely level. And whether you're a multimillionaire or someone homeless on the streets, you can access the same level of care. And uh, one of the things that I hope may influence our Prime Minister is that having had his brush with uh, his demise and seeing the amount of care that was given to him uh, from the ITU cleaner through to the senior consultant, that he was just surrounded essentially by a family of love that were basically giving their all to help him through his darkest hours. And I think all of us have had uh, experiences of the NHS through family, illness, through uh, children coming our way. So it's something that we all have experience of. And I think the people within it are there essentially because of vocation, they're called. I don't think anyone goes into the NHS to make a quick buck because there aren't many quick bucks to be made. Um, but it is, it's a huge privilege to have been working in the NHS for the last 33 years and uh, just an amazing organisation and I think it's because of it essentially it was um, it came out of a, a lot of um, uh, actually the Quaker movement was very formative in, in uh, generating what we now know as the NHS because they identified that within the workplace that those who had healthy happy families were generally more productive so the sort of the round trees the Cadbury's even the Quakers, <coughs> uh, the makers of a lot of the, the sort of foods and cereals, 
they were all from a Christian background and had that real idea of support and love for the people that they were employing. Um, so really interesting looking at the history of how we got to where we got. Katie, do you have a love for the NHS or not? Absolutely. I can't come at it from a professional perspective. I don't have Richard's experience or knowledge, but I have been extremely fortunate to um, be the beneficiary of a lot of NHS care, particularly growing up when I was extremely clumsy and managed to break both my wrists on a very frequent occasions. So, yeah, I couldn't rave highly enough about them. They've saved my life before now. So I think they're amazing. How about you, Mike? Do you have any love for the NHS? Uh, enormous. It, it, it's, a, it's a profoundly, not profoundly, it's a flawed organisation stuck full of beautiful, wonderful people. Um, and, and probably the reason it's flawed, I don't want to point fingers here at, 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 at leadership, management, government. It's just enormous and so multifaceted. It, I, I mean, I, 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 it, it's just one of the great questions of our age. How do you get you know, real high efficiency, high effectiveness out of the NHS? I'd also, and I know it's not about making a fast buck, Richard, but I'd also like to see our, our NHS better paid. Um, wanted that for ages and ages. No one does it for the money, but um, I don't think I'm worth as many nurses as, as my paycheck suggests. Um, but but that, that's just, you know, one of the, 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 the problems with managing something that treats 60 million people, at, you know, a, a point of care. Um, I think it's absolutely wonderful. And I know so many people who serve in the NHS as doctors and nurses and, and, and managers, and they all impress me, mainly by their sheer humanity, but, but they all impress me. Richard, do you, what would you do differently if we get a second spike with COVID? I think uh, looking after your staff. Uh, I think the greatest asset the NHS have is its staff the, across the, the whole spectrum of professions. Um, what you've seen people is really rising to the challenge. Um, they basically, the people within the NHS, they just love serving the, the population and their patient in front of them. And I think that is what drives people. Uh, some of the video diaries have been incredibly moving uh, from senior consultants, again, down to healthcare, uh, healthcare assistants. And just the, the dedication to, in what is actually quite a dangerous environment, that uh, people are just, in many cases, they have gone to the ultimate degree, they have sacrificed their life to look after their fellow human beings. Uh, and again, that completely transcends rank, creed, colour, gender. Uh, so we are making ourselves vulnerable essentially because we love and I guess because we are loved and we are made in the image of God and God is a God of love who ultimately made that sacrifice so that we could have a relationship with him. Katie, how do you think business is being transformed because of COVID-19? I think it is varied. I think it differs depending on your industry and your size. Um, I think from a general perspective, we are learning to be much more compassionate. And, you know, Richard just said there about the NHS staff being the NHS's biggest resource. It is exactly the same in business. People are the biggest and best resource that businesses have. And 
I think in this time, we are learning to view people and, you know, not just as a resource in the business, but actually as people. You know, there are some extremely hard circumstances of people at the minute who are having to work at home, look after their kids, homeschool, potentially look after elderly relatives or be carers. The burden that people have got at the minute for some people is huge. And I think employers are starting to recognize actually that, you know, when you hire that person, you take them as a whole and everything that comes with it. And, you know, all these other things that they have to do make them into this special and unique person that they are. And my hope is that going forward, start to make circumstances better and easier for them for how they um, are in the workplace. So we've seen, you know, through video calling, so many barriers being broken down in terms of people not physically needing to be in the office. And if in the future we are able to be more flexible with how people work, then I think you will get the best out of a lot of people who so far haven't been able to engage in um, the workforce as much as they could because they've had other things that are there too. So yeah, I hope in terms of the change that we're seeing in business, we are becoming a lot more you know, people-centered because that essentially is what a business is. It's a collection of people. And you know, we said earlier that um, we've seen the love and um, altruism that is deeply ingrained in people. And I hope that in the future, if we're able to give people the opportunity to bring that out more at work and to connect with their work in a way that has a bigger purpose and feels like it is um, doing good, then I think that will change the way that businesses run. But also, you know, if you're changing those businesses, that will change the way that our world works because the challenges that we have to face as a world are too big to be tackled by politicians and governments alone. We need businesses to get involved in making those changes. So if we can unlock the potential of people to do that at work, then the world will be a different place. Mike, so Katie just said that the workplace is changing uh, as we take uh, uh, people's whole lives into account um, and just not their kind of uh, uh, their working lives. How do you think uh, church will change because of this uh, coronavirus? Hmm. Ah. That's a good one. I think, believe, hope that we will get much more intentional about sharing the, simply put, the, the love of Jesus, being the incarnation of, of, of Christ, uh, taking the Holy Spirit out to, to the world. Um, my hope is that people will reflect as, as a society, obviously that'll vary um, depending on natural leaning, circumstance and so on, but people generally will reflect more than they have been reflecting on their lives and on, and on the big whys of life. So we'll have a, a softening of the heart and that will provide an opportunity for people to turn Back to Christ. Now we we live in a a society that is you know predominantly second and third generation uh, unchurched. So they by that I mean they don't know even the, the the gospel. They don't even know the claim of Christ. They don't refute it because they don't know it. Um, 
this is not just it's a beautiful and true historical message but it's a completely life-giving message um it's a message of uh deep strength uh deep comfort uh profound transformation and enormous power for those who believe it's our not just our duty but our joy uh, and our mission to take this to the world it starts here it starts with me um so my it, it, you asked me if Boris gave me the job. Um, I, I, I'm now saying if Jesus gave me the job, and, and, and I think he has, actually. I think he's given it to each of us. What would be the blueprint for the church? Um, and uh, and I, we should ask Archbishop Justin, but I, I suspect he'll answer in a very similar way. I would say, number one, understand what God said to me as a result of this and what's shifting in my heart and my life. Number two, understand what God's saying to us as a gathered community of, of worshippers and believers at, at Christ Church, wherever you are in, in, in the country, in the world. And then third, understand the message that he wants to give to touch and recover hearts in the world. He is after our hearts. He's after recovering our hearts. The Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost. And what was lost was the hearts of humankind. I think this is honestly... I won't say the big chance, who knows, but it's a huge chance, like none of us has ever seen before in our lifetime. Katie, are you missing going to church? Uh, are you missing the building? Are you missing the coffee? Or are you glad that you can stay in bed on a Sunday morning and watch church from your pyjamas? I definitely do not watch church from my pyjamas. Don't accuse me of such things. <laughs> I do. <laughs> <laughs> I am missing going to church. I am a very uh, sociable and, um, you know, connected person. I like physically seeing people. Um, but, you know, what I have loved at the minute is um, I saw an amazing video the other day, which was talking about church being alive and they had got churches from all over the UK. I don't know how many were involved. I'm going to go for another like 50 singing a song together um, for the world to share that God's love is here in the community. And so seeing so many different churches coming together to kind of proclaim that the church is alive was really powerful. And, you know, we were talking earlier about community and what we're seeing in terms of the actions that people are taking to support and care for each other. That, that is church, that is people being sent out in the Holy Spirit to support and care and love for each other. Um, I, I'm looking forward to the day when church is back. Um, but, you know, in the meantime, we're fortunate we're still having our home groups, still opportunity to catch up with um, members of the church through that way. Um, and yeah, I think we will go back into church with a deeper appreciation of what of the opportunity you have to actually be together i think it will have more meaning for us when we're back in that space surrounded by other people who are all you know there for the same intention as you i, th I think the energy that that will give us will be amazing i'm gonna go to our first sunday i think in my pajamas just so there's a transition between where we've been and where we are now 
Richard, what are you learning about your faith? Is God speaking to you in new ways? Are you rediscovering bits of your discipleship again? Are you not hearing from God in this pandemic? Really struck by last Sunday's service about contentment. And one of the things that's just been a joy, actually, and you realise how privileged we are to live where we do. And the birds seem to be louder. Um, we heard our first cuckoo of the season and just that connection with creation again is that slower pace of life you're not sort of madly rushing here there and everywhere uh, but on the flip side of that it's also a really uh, reveals not that we need not that we'd lost sight of it but actually the value of community and I would say the thing that uh, that we as a family are looking forward to most is meeting up again to say we are three adult daughters are all away from home. We haven't uh, seen them for weeks now. And although Zooms are great and family quizzes are great, uh, it's not the same as being in the room. To be resilient, we need three different communities that we're part of. Uh, and I think the rationale for that is that it's unlikely that all three would be as a low ebb at the same time. So there's always one that sustains you through the, the darker days of uh, maybe one or two of the communities you're in. So I'm, I'm looking forward to rekindling that fire of uh, the different communities within Christchurch that uh, I'm part of and maybe looking to being part of new communities. But I think it has... It has really uh, reinforced the idea that uh, actually life is fragile. Uh, any one of us could be coroned at any time. And what we're learning is that although the odds are incredibly small, that actually anyone of any age can be really impacted by corona. And although we hear this line that so-and-so had an underlying condition, there are that's just that worrying streak of those who have had really tough rides, who had no underlying. And life is fragile. And actually, we have been lulled into, I would say, a false sense of security uh, with the advent of antibiotics, anaesthesia, amazing healthcare. That actually, our number could be up at any time. But we have our eternal hope. And without that Christian belief of what comes after death, uh, if this is all we've got, this would be a really worrying time. Uh, but as we uh, read in one of our readings a few weeks ago, that when someone does die as a Christian, they merely change their address. And we have an eternal hope. And whatever Corona throws at us, uh, we know that our hope is assured and that our life is eternal. And that is just such an amazing message for anyone who is going through a tough time, a worrying time, an uncertain time, is that Christianity and through the love of Jesus and the work of the Holy Spirit, we have an eternal hope which is secure. It can't rust. It can't fade. It can't be tarnished. It can't be coronas. Preacher Richard, you've answered our questions. Thank you all so much for your time and for your input. Are there any other questions you would like to explore? I think we we all touched on on one thing, which was sort of human independence and 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 almost a sort of self sufficiency that, that that we got ourselves into. Um, and, and I, uh, you know, Katie talking about what what we want to leave behind um, and, and what we want to take on. Um, 
and, and this, for me, just noticing that the world has just escalated on so many levels. Um, you know, busyness being a, a major symptom, but just in terms of, you know, every, everything becoming possible, everything at our fingertips. I mean, you know, you can, you, you want, you want Indian food, you can have it delivered at your doorstep in 30 minutes. You want Chinese food, it's at your doorstep in 30 minutes. If you're in London, you can have one of, you know, any global cuisine you want at your doorstep in 30 minutes. You can fly anywhere in the world if you want to. Um, people can go on holidays almost anywhere in the world, at least all, all, all the educated class and the earning class can, and many, many, many do. Just step on a plane, just, just go, everything's possible. Of course, it's wonderful, but instead of living out of a, in a place of awe and gratitude for those things uh, and of tenderness, um, we uh, th this this the culture that we've had of dependency on these things, but also it's 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 to use the old-fashioned word, it's it's idolatry. It's putting things before God, and it's it's being um, rooted rooted in self, uh, and and we've. I think almost everyone, I've been guilty of, of that, even knowing, you know, knowing Jesus as I do, and knowing that trap, I've still fallen into a chunk of that. So just a thought that if there's one thing that coronavirus should cure for many, it's it's the sense of, and just to echo Richard from a moment ago, it's a sense of um, self-dependency or... or um, I, I, I'm an island. I can just get on with it. Um, I don't need God, which of course is the original temptation of Satan, isn't it? You can, you, you're a God. You don't need him. Something like that. Thank you. We've got that. Uh, Richard. Uh, no, and I think the, um, it's been a great discussion. Uh, I've enjoyed it a lot. Uh, one of the things that, uh, I remember very early on with the Brexit debate was uh, the division within the country and how the last time there had been division was over the appeasement of the Nazis. And it was felt what could bring the country back together, united. And of course, it was the Second World War. And there was a comment after the division after Brexit saying, what on earth is going to unite the country again after Brexit? Because we're not going to have a Second World War. And then out of the hat came Corona. And I think it has had a huge movement towards re-establishing uh, almost our national identity. And yeah. the lovely stories you hear of the sort of the, the refining of interdependence and that actually we are keen to rebuild our social networks and look out for each other. And you almost feel that as a country we are becoming more united. So after the Brexit event, it appeared that we were going, heading for the disunited kingdom. And I feel we're now heading back to a more united kingdom. So great hope. Love that. Rich, you prompted in here, actually. Uh, I thought the queen in her speech said something incredibly profound. She said, the difference between this and World War II is that as we emerge from this, we are all united the, across the world. We all have the same aim. And, and, and I think that that is beautiful. And that, that really does offer us a, 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 a great hope. So, so Richard, I'm totally with you nationally. I've, I've seen seeing that. 
and also globally, despite the different approaches and there'll always be politicking and all of those things that they're part of the world. But humanity is fundamentally on one track for a moment. And let's see how we can flourish from that. Thank you, Om.